Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ringslore, expressvpn.com slash ringslore to learn more. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Sometimes, coming up with the ambiance for these episodes is actually the hardest part of writing them. And so you may have been a little bit surprised to hear violins and this classical sounding music. But I think this might be the best ambiance to use. To put you in the place of Numenor at the height of its splendor, of its glory. And that's what today's episode is about. The good times. Well, the good times until things aren't so good anymore. We've talked about it before. Human nature doesn't like to sit still. There's always a fence in somebody else's yard on the other side of the fence. Things always look better on the other side. But there are good things. Numenor does good in the world. These are the Adine. And thank you to the patron who helped with the pronunciation. Even though Adine is spelled E-D-A-I-N, it looks like Edain. Adine is the more accurate pronunciation. It's like I just need to adopt a, uh, a funny accent in order to say all these words. But these, for the most part, were good people. They sided with the elves against Morgoth. They are given their own island. And then they live in relative peace. For 2,000 years... 
before things start to decline. And in that time, I would imagine, and it doesn't say this here, but I would imagine that music like this may have filled the halls of Numenor. They worshipped Eru at the base of their mountain. They explored the ocean and the continents. They traveled great distances mapping the world as it was in those days. And they even landed back in Middle-earth to look at the people there, the other men who were living scared of the darkness still because of Morgoth. And they gave them a hand. They taught them. They educated them. They lifted them up. And in those early days, they didn't think anything of conquest, of power. But their eyes kept returning to the West. That's where the light came from. That was the home of the Valar and their elf friends. And so even from the beginning, there was this sense of longing for something that was not allowed for them. But they did their work. They did good things. And the early period lasted 2,000 years. This is about four times longer than the first age altogether. And yet, only so many generations because they lived for hundreds of years, each. This is the story of Numenor at its height. So if you recall, the Numenorians were banned from traveling to the West. That was not the place for them. And we know the reason why. It's not because the Valar didn't want them there because they were being selfish. It's not because they thought this is just a place for elves. No men allowed. Not not at all. It had nothing to do with that. Men were made differently than elves and Valar. The Holy Lands were not a place where they would even survive. And the Valar knew this. The elves knew this. And so they gave them the best thing possible that was close enough to where the West was, where they could be in connection with them. The elves could come visit. They would take their boats over. But the men could never go back and visit themselves. And that felt strange to them. And they started to wonder what they were missing out on. And they started to look at their friends and see that their friends didn't suffer death. So why would men have to? How is this a gift? And that seed is always there. But in the beginning, and for the first almost 2,000 years, that seed only grows very slowly. Because in the early days, the Numenorians were content They were given so much, a land of prosperity, long lives, plentiful food, the ability to pursue their own industries, the crafting of boats, the exploration of the world. 
And I love this passage in the Silmarillion. We're still in chapter 24. We're about halfway through. And it says here that the Dunedain came at times to the shores of the great lands, meaning the, the bulk of Middle Earth. And they took pity on the forsaken world of Middle Earth. And the lords of Numenor set foot again upon the western shores in the dark years of men. And none yet dared to withstand them. For most of the men of that age that sat under the shadow were now grown weak and fearful. And coming upon the Numenorians taught them many things. Corn and wine they brought, and they instructed men in the sowing of seed, and the grinding of grain, in the hewing of wood, in the shaping of stone, and in the ordering of their life, such as it might be in the lands of swift death and little bliss. So the, the Middle Earth of this age, of the beginning of the Second Age, is still a dangerous place. The remnants of what Melkor had wrought are on the hearts of these people. They are still fearful. They are still, it's, it's as if they are not even wise or proud enough of their own ability to lift themselves out of the dirt themselves. They've been beaten down so badly and they're afraid of the dark still. And what's in the dark? There's still orcs out there and other creatures and the world is still a dangerous place in Middle Earth. And the Numenorians know this. And so they seek to lift them up. This specific detail here accounts for the origins of the other peoples of Middle Earth who aren't the direct descendants of the Numenorians. So the people of Rohan, for example, or other peoples, the, the men of Bree, many of whom weren't actually descendants of Numenorians. There's a variety of these men that we meet in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings who have been in Middle-earth and they can trace their lineage back to people who never came from Numenor, who were not of the Edain. And yet they are beginning to be lifted up. They are given help by these Numenorians. I like this next passage too. Then the men of Middle-earth were comforted, and here and there upon the western shores the houseless woods drew back, and men shook off the yoke of the offspring of Morgoth, and unlearned their terror of the dark, and they revered the memory of the tall sea-kings. And when they had departed, they called them gods, hoping for their return. And at that time the Numenorians dwelt never long in Middle-earth, nor made there yet any habitation of their own. They came and visited, they uplifted them, they pulled them out of the dark, and these people saw them as if they were gods who came from over the sea, and they never claimed that of themselves, and they didn't lord over anyone. They just gave, they helped, and then they returned home. They didn't build anything for themselves, they didn't plant any cities, they didn't colonize anybody, at least not at this time. And yet, we're told here, eastward they must sail, but ever west their hearts returned. And that's because east was the only direction they could actually go from, from Numenor. All of the rest of Middle-earth was to the east of them. And yet, the things that they yearned for were in the west. So what was Numenor like at the height of its power? Well, you ended up with a group of humans, 
this mankind, these Dunedain, who were all of the same mind initially. They were living in peace. They were sharing their abundance with other people. They were doing all of the right things. They were taking heed all of the wisdom that had been shared with them from the elves and from the Valar. They were utilizing their place in the world as this one safe place from the darkness, from the terrors that Morgoth unleashed upon the world. And we're using that to make the world a better place. And this is another one of those warning stories from Tolkien. This idea that even when we are at our best, even when everything is going right in the world, and as humans, we can all understand this. We've probably lived through times in our lives where everything seems like it's going great. You've got a good job. You've got a wonderful family. You have friends. You have enough money and things in order to get by without any want, without any real concerns about where things are going to come from or how you're going to feed yourself the next day or take care of your family. Maybe you've got extra time to enjoy extra activities on the weekends or go on vacations or whatever else. And yet there's still inside of us so many times a little voice that says there has to be more. And so you seek out more, you contribute to your community, you volunteer, you help with other people, you donate that extra money that you have to causes. And yet there's still inside of us that little voice that says there has to be more. And you see this among the wealthy and the famous. Much of the time, these people have so much of the things that other people would kill for, or at least want to work extremely hard in order to get. And yet they're not happy and they fall into drugs or they fall into other nefarious hobbies, things that ultimately don't actually bring them happiness, but they feel like there must be more. And it's a basic drive that humanity has. And the Numenorians fall for this as well. And there's a lot of information in this part of the Silmarillion about how that develops, how that seed grows. This passage here says, For though the Valar had rewarded the Dunedain with long life, they could not take from them the weariness of the world that comes at last. And they died, even their kings of the seed of Arendil, for all the gifts that were given to them. They could not remove the weariness of the world that eventually takes hold. And the Numenorians began to murmur at first in their hearts and then in open words against the doom of men and most of all against the ban which forbade them to sail into the West. And they said among themselves, why do the lords of the West sit there in peace unending while we must die and go? We know not whither leaving our home and all that we have made. And the Eldar die not, even those that rebelled against the lords. And since we have mastered all seas and no water is so wild or so wide that our ships cannot overcome it, why should we not go to Avalon and greet there our friends? Avalon, the island that was, the new island that was constructed for the elves, the place that is part of 
Valinor, but it's offset from the main island. Why not go visit them? Why can't we visit our friends? This seems like a, a fair question. And don't all of these things start with what seems like a fair question. Well, what about this one little thing? Why can't we do that? And it always comes in the guise of something that seems good. Visiting your friends is good. Why can't we visit our friends? And then it continues to grow. And some there were who said, why should we not go even to Amman and taste there? Were it but for a day, the bliss of the powers. Have we not become mighty among the people of Arda? You can see some of the hubris sneaking in, some of the pride that has gone too far. Why not go to Amman and taste there the bliss of the powers? Why, why can't we visit the Valar themselves in their own homeland? If we can't visit the elves, why can't we just visit them too? And then that last sentence, have we not become mighty among the people of Arda? They've become proud. And with so many of these stories, this downfall comes with pride. And the ignorance of pride is the very thing that made them mighty to begin with. That was a reward. Initially, what made the Edain mighty was their drive, their intent to do the right things, to stand against Morgoth, the enemy, to stand with the elves, to be loyal, to be strong. And because of that, they were gifted something special, long life, this peaceful island where they could live and thrive. And then generations go by, and they forget that that part of that was a gift. They are not mighty by themselves. They are mighty because they were gifted the ability to be so. And it's been said that ideas are like a virus. And this virus begins to spread across these wonderful people. And they start becoming more selfish, wondering why they can't have everything. And the elves hear about this, and they respond. But we're going to get to that after the mid-break, so don't go anywhere. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts, and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell, and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. 
Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. I hope you are having a wonderful day, a wonderful week. I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you are at work or commuting in your car or uh, watching your grandmother's cat while she's busy doing yard work, then uh, maybe go to patreon.com and check out L-O-T-R Lorecast or patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast to check out all the different tiers and things you can get. And then you can be one of our new patrons like, uh, well, some of them actually upgraded. Swiggy Swoo has upgraded. Congratulations, Swiggy Swoo. Swoo, you're going to get t-shirts and stuff. Um, also, Black Squirrel is our newest patron as well. Thank you for joining and being part of this group and uh, being here with us. I hope you're enjoying the bonus episodes and all that stuff. Also, we shout out our VIP patrons every week. We've got a bunch of them, and I'll, I'll try to get through this as fast as possible. Anakin Skywalker, Austin C, Azel Razzle, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Alaf, Goldberry, Jesse P, Katie S, Capenna, Larry, Michael E, Nick K, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Rivqua, Sam B, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, Tour Son of Hoor, Tyler M, Wes Patton, and Who Let the Juan Out. Thank you for your support. Man, wow, I think I might be getting better at that. Um, also, we've got a uh, new review that came in this uh, last week. I don't think I read this one out. It's it's a little bit before I recorded the last episode, but uh, here goes. Uh, this is from Crowder54 from the United States. He writes, a great listen. While stuck at work for four weeks at a time, 12 hours a day and wanting to dive more into the Lord of the Rings world, I never had the motivation for the books, and this was the first podcast I clicked, and I'm glad I did. Love the creation of environments from the reader and his knowledge of the world and making it easy to understand and enjoy. Might even pick up the books to read to my son. Five stars and would recommend to any LOTR fans. That's great. Yes, absolutely read this with your son and um, definitely read through The Hobbit, too, as well. If you haven't already, that's a wonderful one as well. Uh, and then eventually Lord of the Rings depends on the ages and, you know, how much they're able to understand. But thank you very much for taking the time to do that. Anyone else who leaves a five star review on Apple Podcasts, I will read out your review on a future episode. Plus, you can rate the show on uh, Spotify or other platforms and you can share it with your friends and all of that. Thank you to all of you because you make this possible. All right, let's get back to the rest of the story. So the elves, they're, they're elf friends, the ones who have been visiting Numenor from the west, traveling back and forth because they are allowed to do so, find out about these murmurings, that this mentality is now spreading among the population. And they know that this is not a good thing. And so they take this information to the Valar. The Eldar reported these words to the Valar. And Manway was grieved, seeing a cloud gather on the noontide of Numenor. And he sent messengers to the Dúnedain. So he actually does something about this. He sees that their mentality is shifting, that they're becoming very selfish and very self-important. 
And he sees the danger in that. It also kind of reminds you of Melkor, doesn't it? I'm so powerful. Why can't I have this also? Why can't I have the flame imperishable? I'm so powerful. I'm the best of the, of the, uh, Ainur. What, why can't that be mine? It's the same motif over again. And Manway knows what that looks like. So he sends messengers to the Dunedin, to the Numenorians, And it says they spoke earnestly to the king and to all that would listen concerning the fate and fashion of the world. And this is what they said. The doom of the world, one alone can change who made it. And were you so to voyage that escaping all deceits and snares, you came indeed to Amman, the blessed realm. Little would it profit you, for it is not the land of Manway that makes its people deathless, but the deathless that dwell therein have hallowed the land. Let me read that again. It is not the land of Manway that makes its people deathless. It's not the land itself that brings everlasting life. It's the deathless people, the Valar themselves, who dwell there, who live there, who have hallowed the land. The people who live there, the powers, the Valar, have made the land holy. It's not the holiness of the land that bestows everlasting life. It's the, the kinds of people who already have everlasting life who have made that land holy. It's a very clear distinction. So just by going there doesn't mean you will also become deathless. That's not how it works. And then it goes on and says, and there you would but wither and grow weary the sooner as moths in a light too strong and steadfast. And this is exactly how it is described. This is exactly what happens to Frodo when he goes over. We learn this later on. I believe this was in the appendices, but this isn't a place for him to go and live forever. The ring bearers are not rewarded with that as a gift. It is a place for him to find healing, but he will be extinguished sooner. His life will go away sooner by going there because he cannot sustain existing in such a holy place. But in that case, the the reward for somebody like Frodo of removing the the sickness that he was still feeling from the Morgul blade was better than missing some years of your life because your life would be shortened. So at least he could live in peace and comfort for the rest of his days. That's how this works. It doesn't bestow on you longer life. That will never happen. But this was not good enough for the Numenorians. The king says, And does not Arendelle my forefather live? Or is he not in the land of Amman? Like, what about Arendelle? Like, I come from that line. He seems to live forever. How does that work? To which they answered, You know that he has a fate apart and was adjudged to the firstborn who die not. Meaning, he chose the life of the elves because he had that choice. And so he went that route. You don't have that choice. You come from the line that chose the life of men. And the gift and doom of men is yours also, basically is what they're saying. 
It goes on and says, yet this also is his doom that he can never return again to mortal lands. Whereas you and your people are not of the firstborn, but are mortal men as Iluvatar made you. Evoking the name Iluvatar to remind them that this is something that was designed by a power well beyond them with reasons that they may not ever understand, but it is still a gift. Yet it seems that you desire now to have the good of both kindreds. And the way that that says that right there really puts into perspective the the greed in this desire. Well, one of these gifts is not enough. So you desire to have both? That's not something anybody was gifted. To sail to Valinor when you will and to return when you please to your homes. That cannot be, nor can the Valar take away the gifts of the Iluvatar. The Eldar, you say, are unpunished and even those who rebelled do not die. Yet that is to them neither reward nor punishment, but the fulfillment of their being. This for them was not a gift and it's not a punishment either. It's just who they are. An analogy here would be basically like a dog does dog things because a dog is a dog. (laughs) This is the same kind of thing. It's just who they are. Elves do elf things. Men do men things. You can't have both. You can't be a thing that you are not. It's as simple as that. And then the messengers go on, who I'm assuming are elves, but I'm not 100% sure because it doesn't say. But they go on and say, and you are punished for the rebellion of men, you say, in which you had small part. And so it is that you die. But that is not at first appointed for a punishment. This is not why you die, because men rebelled. Men were just designed to die. That's just part of the design. They all would have, even if men never rebelled. That's basically what they're saying. Thus you escape and leave the world and are not bound to it in hope or in weariness, which for us, therefore, should envy the others. Basically, you die and go somewhere else. You escape this world and you have something else there waiting for you. And maybe we should be envious of that for you because we don't get that. But yet these are just different gifts. That's the point. But this was not enough for the Numenorians, because they reply, why should we not envy the Valar, or even the least of the deathless? For of us is required a blind trust and a hope without assurance, knowing not what lies before us in a little while. And yet we also love the earth and would not lose it. Basically, how can we not envy you if... What is expected of us is just faith that this is still a good thing, even though it seems like a bad thing. They've become very skeptical of that gift. And on top of it, they couch it in this, in this love. We love the earth and would not lose it. We want to hold on to this. This, The earth was given to us as a gift as well. Can't we keep that? And then the messenger says something that's particularly interesting here. Indeed, the mind of Iluvatar concerning you is not known to the Valar, and he has not revealed all things that are to come. But this we hold to be true, that your home is not here, neither in the land of Amman, 
nor anywhere within the circles of the world. And the doom of men that they should not depart was at first a gift of Iluvatar. It became a grief to those only because coming under the shadow of Morgoth, it seemed to them that they were surrounded by a great darkness of which they were afraid. This is an interesting point right here. They specifically detail that the reason why the gift of death appears to be scary is because Morgoth taught them to fear the darkness. The darkness includes that which is beyond the edges of the world, the unknown. Morgoth is the one that taught men to fear that, and that is still in their hearts. And some grew willful and proud and would not yield until life was reft from them. We who bear the ever-mounting burden of the years, notice the way the elves put that, the ever-mounting burden of the years, because the weight of the world grows on them over time. It's a weariness that they cannot escape. This theme comes up over and over again as well. We do not clearly understand this, but if the grief has returned to trouble you, as you say, then we fear that the shadow arises once more and grows again in your hearts. Therefore, though you be the Dunedain, fairest of men who escaped from the shadow of old and fought valiantly against it, we say to you, beware, the will of Eru may not be gainsaid. And the Valar bid you earnest not to withhold the trust to which you are called, lest soon it become again a bond by which you are constrained. Basically, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Don't sweat this. Focus on what actually matters here. And that's what they say. Hope rather that in the end, even the least of your desires shall have fruit. The love of Arda was set in your hearts by Iluvatar, and he does not plant to no purpose. Yes, you are supposed to love the earth. That also was a gift from Iluvatar. And there's a reason for that. That is a good thing. But don't let that drive you to seek things that were not for you, basically is what they're saying. And then they finish up and say, Nonetheless, many ages of men unborn may pass ere the purpose is made known. And to you, it will be revealed and not to the Valar. The Valar will never know the reason why men die or where they go. That is a gift only for you. And unfortunately for the way the story plays out, after this moment is when the Numenorians begin colonizing Middle-earth. And not necessarily with only good intentions of helping uplift the people there. They were seeking more. This conversation, even though the messengers of the Valar communicated extremely clearly how things actually worked and why the men shouldn't fear their gift, the shadow had already come back into their hearts. The analogy was used in part of this conversation about uh, the noontide, I believe it said. And I can imagine if I was to film this, that this conversation would be had at midday. And we would have seen the sun pass directly above the land at this point. And as soon as this conversation is done, the camera would pan up to the sun again. 
and it would begin its descent toward the horizon. Because this is that moment, the moment where the height of Numenor starts to decline. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.